What do you miss most about life before the pandemic? For me, it's my family and friends. More specifically, my parents who I haven't seen in almost two years, my brothers and sisters-in-law who I haven't seen in two and a half years, and some really close friends who I haven't seen in even longer than that. Because never in a million years did I believe that Australia could essentially be totally locked down, borders closed, making it near impossible for people to come and go for pretty much two years now. While right now, as I'm recording, things really are looking up with vaccination rates on the rise and it's looking like the borders are reopening soon, but I still don't really know when I'll see my people again. For a bit of context, I'm Aussie, as you can obviously tell from my accent. I am originally from Sydney and I currently live in Berlin, Germany. Berlin was never meant to be a permanent move, more of a stepping stone for me, but more about that later. So this pandemic has made me sit and stay in a city that I don't love, far away from my people. To top that off, I also spent the pandemic navigating a long-distance relationship between here and Switzerland. While it has been tough at times, it's also made me reflect upon and really celebrate my life so far, which has, quite frankly, been pretty fucking amazing, if I say so myself. That's because from the moment I could, I got a job, and by the time I was at uni, I was working three jobs on the side of a full-time degree, just so I could save up enough money to travel. My first solo adventure was a three-month trip around Europe and Morocco at age 19, and ever since then, I've pretty much been hooked on not only travelling, but living overseas. I've lived in France, the UK, Thailand, and now Germany. I can't really explain why, but the urge to travel and explore as much of the world as I can, rather than, let's say, investing in a house, getting a mortgage, doing those kind of usual things, it's always been my North Star. So right now, the world is getting back to normal, or it's looking like it's getting back to normal. But to be honest, for Aussies like me who live overseas and for people stranded, like let's say back home in Australia who can't, you know, still can't see their family overseas or can't go visit um, where they're from, you know, we're, we're still not really fully reconnected. And so I thought now's a really great time to launch this podcast, which is essentially going to be an unfiltered exploration of travel and life abroad. My guests will be joining me from everywhere you can imagine a hotel in Thailand, a bungalow in Costa Rica, from lockdown in Sydney, from an apartment on a bustling main road in Berlin. I've been recording these uh, episodes over the past few months, and during recording, my guests were in, in various stages of lockdown, so they might have been fully locked down in the case of Australia or um, partially under certain restrictions over here in Europe. But regardless... Um, Every guest I spoke to and I'm going to be having on this show is definitely someone who uh, is either very passionate about travel and has missed it a lot during the last few years, or someone who lives overseas and is living a life, let's say, slightly different to the one that you might be leading yourself. And we're not going to be talking travel in the typical sense, like travel tips on where to stay and what to do. Let's be honest, uh, YouTube would be way better for that than a podcast. Instead, we'll be diving deep into the hilarious, the stressful, the unexpected, the beautiful, the emotional, and more importantly, the real and unfiltered experiences of both times on the road and living abroad. We'll be chatting about some of the most memorable moments of trips we've taken, uh, obviously before the pandemic, and also discussing big topics like cross-cultural relationships, starting again in a new city, 
cultural identity and asking ourselves, where is home? So in the paraphrased words of the late and great David Bowie, I don't know where I'm going from here, but I promise it won't be boring. Welcome to the very first episode of my podcast. I'm your host, Anne Verhoeven, and in each episode, we'll be going on a little adventure around the world together. I'm so happy you're here. Let's jump in. So in this first episode, I'm sharing some stories with you about pretty much the worst travel fuck up that you can make, losing your passport while traveling. It's happened to me not once, but twice. (laughs) I'm ashamed to say. Um, Given that I've been traveling obsessively since I was 19 years old, I think this really isn't too bad, but it's definitely not something I was prepared for at the time and has potentially knocked a few years off my life expectancy due to the insane level of stress that it caused in the moment. Having said that, they're quite fun stories looking back now, so let's jump right in. The first fuck-up took place in Spain in early 2018. I'd been living in London for two years, and I, as I wasn't able to get sponsored to stay in the UK, I was very reluctantly moving back home to Sydney. So as I really didn't want to move back, I was taking the longest and most exciting possible route home known to man. A few weeks traveling with my parents in Spain and Morocco, uh, then on to Stockholm, Moscow, Singapore, Thailand and Laos for as many epic adventures as I could possibly squeeze in with friends and family. This trip from the northern to southern hemisphere would take around three months to complete and was basically a big fuck you to my UK visa disappointment. So there I was in Spain with my awesome parents, John and Christine. Just to introduce you to my folks, um, I'm incredibly lucky to be close to them. We've also um, done some great trips together, so we're really good travel buddies. And because of that, you will hear from them quite a bit in upcoming episodes. So anyway, we're in Spain. We'd spent a few days in Bilbao in the north of Spain, enjoying some amazing food wine and kind of wandering around the Guggenheim and posing stupidly out the front of the William de Kooning uh, sculpture that some of you may know. After a few days in Bilbao, we flew to Barcelona on a very smooth and comfortable afternoon flight. You know those flights that are like half empty and the staff are lovely? Everything was smooth. The airport was great. There were no lines at security. It was kind of one of those days where you thought, gosh, I'm such a good international traveler. So after arriving in Barcelona, we took a taxi in, into, into town and on the way we admired all the architecture, chatting excitedly about our plans for the coming days before pulling up to our hotel. And bear in mind, my parents uh, had never been to Spain. This was their first trip to Spain and I was kind of being a bit of a tour guide as I tend to be when I'm with friends or family um, who haven't been somewhere. So we pulled up at the hotel And I think at this point, I'm going to hand you over to mum and dad. So here they are. The three of us got out of the taxi from the airport and walked in to the hotel, went to the front desk to check in. And as you do when you're in Europe or any foreign country, actually, they ask for your passport. So we all grabbed our passport out of our bag to show as identification. And you went, oh, wait, oh, wait, where's my passport? Oh no, oh no, panic, panic. Oh my God, where's my passport? Where's my passport? Oh, I left it in the back of the seat in the plane. Oh, I can't. Oh, and that was it. So <laughs> we went into absolute meltdown and we went, we all felt sick and ill. And oh the, poor, the, poor, the poor girl at the front desk just stood there with her mouth 
on the counter going, she'd obviously never had anyone that happened to anyone before. And she was like picking up on our stress and she was having a meltdown at the same time with us. Then I remember you turned around and looked at mum and myself and the look of, oh shit. And I knew instantaneously that, that I knew in a microsecond that it was a calamitous event that was about to unfold <laughs> with all the melodrama that you can muster, but rightfully so, in fairness to you. Um, I would have been, I, pr- I probably would have had a, I would have been up shit creek without a paddle, to use that great Australian expression. And you burst into tears and the staff were so lovely and mum was very, very good. She was comforting and I, I just thought, shit, I, I could see our whole holiday and everything just absolutely implode. Well, without a passport. And I'm quite sure, Anne, it was on the weekend. Yeah, it was just before the weekend. Yeah, and uh, in fact, there was a a religious holiday. Public holiday, yeah. There was a massive, where they they made those beautiful wreaths of of bread. And they were selling them. And it was just, I think that probably would have been on the Monday. And I realised that, like, the, the palaver of having to go to the embassy or the consulate. I mean, it's a sh... And we were only there for a few nights. And it, it was diabolical. It was diabolical. But fortunately, mum came to the rescue. Now, you said to me, because I said to you off mic that, you know, you discussed this with mum because mum is the one that you and mum sort of ended up going back to the airport. Yeah. And, and I, but if you want to know what happened to me is that, and I, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you this, Anne, but a wave of calmness fell over me knowing that mum was in control because mum is pretty cool and she and you with the advice of the lovely lady who was working um, you know at the front desk Mm. in no uncertain terms she said get straight back in a cab and head on back to the airport which seemed counterintuitive knowing that it's an international airport and without a passport, you actually can't legally reverse the process and kind mm. of make your way back towards the plane, which, by the way, listeners, oh, yes, the plane had left. And then we said, okay, let's try and be logical. Let's just get ourselves checked in. She said, don't worry, just come back, come bring it back to me before you leave the hotel. Go and check into your room get yourself comfortable and we'll work it out later. So then we got past the front desk up to our rooms and then you knocked on our door a short time later and says, I'm on the phone, I'm trying to get through to the air- airline that we flew with. I can't think who it is now. Oh, it was um, Verling? Verling? Yes, lovely, lovely people. And then um, we thought, okay, the plane's probably taken off again and gone somewhere else or maybe it's still at the airport, who knows. We rang, we actually got on, we rang a totally different number because you tried numerous numbers and sent emails and panic, panic, and nothing was happening. And it was only an hour or two later, but we thought, no, got to get onto it quickly. And then we got onto this lovely guy, remember? And he, I spoke to him. I took over the conversation because you couldn't manage it. You were too... I'd lost it. You'd lost it. I sat in your room and this is just upon arrival. So this is our first night. And I spoke to him. I said, look, I said, this is a situation and what added to your stress was that you were then travelling on to Russia, to Moscow, and you had gone to great lengths and expense to get 
your Russian visa, which was in your passport, part mm. was put stuck in there. So without that passport, with that visa, the rest of your trip after you left us in a few weeks' time, that was the end of that idea. You had, yeah. you had to have bailed on that. So that, that, that was an added stress. So I explained all that to him. He was so lovely. He said, look, he said, I can't give you any guarantees, but get in a taxi and how far is the airport? And I said, well, it's not too bad. So go back to the airport, both go back now, go to the counter. This is where the counter is for that airline. You've got to go back through where you come out of um, customs. You've got to actually get back through, which you can't technically do, but go and speak to someone at the gate. And we got back through and I think we were just running on adrenaline at that point. We just ran through and yeah. we're running from gate to gate and down stairs and escalators and ramps. And it was one of those funny airports that when the planes came in, it was full of people. And if no planes had landed, it was kind of just totally empty, like a big mm-hmm. empty void. So it was it had this weird vibe about it. So we finally, to cut a very long story short, got to the front part that this fellow was talking about where it's where people come out of customs you can't go through so we stood there and we said do you speak English and of course he said yes yes I speak English a little bit of English and we both talked at him at the same time in tears and having a panic attack and he just went oh my goodness he said to me I'm sorry I cannot let you through but he said to you but I am going to let you through go through the door and turn right and there's the counter and then a few minutes later, he looked at me and he says, oh, go on, go through, go through. He let me through. And we stood there and we spoke to this lovely lady and explained that we tried to calm down to explain it all to her. She spoke really good English. At the desk, at the airline yes, desk. Right? Yeah, yeah, airline desk, which is back through customs where you pick up your bags. Mm. And by then it was like four or five hours after the flight, I suppose. It was a few hours later. And we showed her the copy of your passport. We sh- I showed her my passport. We sh- and she said, okay. And we explained about the Russian visa and the whole trip and with your parents. Yeah, and we were, we were about to, like, this was a Friday. And I think we only had the weekend in Barcelona. And on the Monday, we were due to all fly together to Morocco. Exactly. So it was really crucial that we sorted this out. But it looked nigh on impossible, actually. It was, it was basically the percent of it working out was zero. But we just thought, you know what? We just need to know we had a backup – you had a backup plan, which wasn't going to be the Did best I? outcome. <laughs> yeah, the, backup, the backup plan was you'd stay In and Barcelona. you'd go to the Australian, the Australian consulate on the Monday or Tuesday and you'd – actually, no, the Monday was a public holiday, remember? It was – Oh, shit, yeah. Easter okay, so or think, something. Yeah. yeah. So we – So we uh, stood there and we talked to the lady and she looked at us and we said, look, sorry, we're upset. She said, no, 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 I understand. If you're wondering what Dad was up to while all of this was going down, here he is. I chilled. I watched telly. I was happy. (laughs) I was very, very calm and relaxed because, you know what, out of sight, out of mind. And there's actually no point in too many people having to get involved and all worrying. One person needs to stay at the hotel and just kick back and chill because I had a feeling, miraculously that if it was going to be sorted, it would be sorted. Meanwhile, back at the airport... She managed to ring one of the staff members that were on the actual flight that picked up the phone and said, look, I need a favour. Go back to your hotel, go and have dinner and relax and 
give me your mobile, give me all your information and I promise you I'll call you. I finish work shortly, but I'll call you. She stayed back at work till midnight and we went off and we had dinner about 9 or 10 o'clock as you do in that city and had a few wines and thought, you know what, things happen for reasons, just accept it and just do the best you can with it, whatever. Yeah, you know, we yeah. just became a bit philosophical and a bit intoxicated and it all, the stress started. Spain. Yeah, the stress started to go. We thought, you know what, just go with the flow. It's not good, but we're together. It's going to be okay. There's always a solution to every problem. So it's we're, our optimism kicked in finally. We, our resilience came back, which was great. Now, I remember distinctly, Anne, that you made a booking for us and it was at least 11 p.m., which is so late. Oh, I mean, for dinner, I've normally, on the first for night. Dinner, yeah. And I've <laughs> normally Spain. been in... But Annie, at, yeah, but hang on. In, at 9 p.m. in Australia, I'm in bed, okay? I think nine's late. So you make a booking for 11 and now we walked to... To that restaurant and we were the first people in the restaurant at 11 p.m oh, we were yeah. early you remember that no that's I ridiculous do. and at I midnight it was, was just starting to, well, it was bloody late it was way past my bedtime and we we walked in and there was no one there and they looked at us like gee you're early and i thought mm. <laughs> and then you got this message on your phone sitting at the restaurant and went oh my god oh, my God, I can't believe it. Oh, and you were crying again. And I said, what's happened? What's happened now? And you said, oh, no, it's good, it's good. The lovely lady, she stayed back. Like it was 11 o'clock and her friend who was on the plane walked around and found your – because you had your passport in a quite distinctive cover. Yeah, my lovely – it was a blue and white striped passport cover that my friend Stina, my lovely Swedish friend Stina, had given me. And I was also about to go to Sweden before I went to Russia. So I had this whole trip planned after. Yes, yes. So this lovely lady said she has your passport. She'll be back here within the hour. It'll be at the counter. Please don't come out again tonight because the counter's closed. It closes now. And she stayed back for four or five hours. Not to get paid, just to find your passport and make sure you got your passport back. It was unbelievable, incredible, so far above and beyond. It was amazing. And then the next day, again for the third, t- <laughs> for the third time, <laughs> we, we went back to the airport. You and I, Dad couldn't handle it. He was, you know, back at the hotel having a stress attack. He couldn't cope with any of it, so he just stayed out. <laughs> he stayed out of it and left it to us. And uh, thanks, John. And then we got back to the airport that morning and th- this time I waited I didn't go through we knew where to go this time and you said look this is what's happened they've got my um, passport I'm happy for you to go and pick it up for me and bring it back out or and he took you through and then you came back waving and holding up your passport and then finally <laughs> we could relax and have a and holiday take, and take the last taxi back from the airport <laughs> well that was actually one where, Five, six, maybe there was even another trip. It might have been like four Although or five. Technically, technically, we needed to go back to the airport to go to Morocco in a few we days. Had, so okay, I... so we had three return <laughs> taxi rides to the airport. <laughs> so 
it was the most extreme stressful thing that can ever happen to an Australian overseas. I don't think anything except for if someone's injured or passes away, obviously that goes without saying, but as yeah. far as in the general travel um, category, I think this is this is definitely one of the most stressful things that can happen. Can we just take a moment to pause and take our hats off to my mum, Christine? I mean, the calmness that she shows under pressure in this stressful situation is pretty amazing, if you ask me. Um, you know, there was I kind of drowning in hypotheticals of, oh, what if and this and that and freaking out. And instead, she really just stayed laser focused on the task at hand, which was finding a solution, you know, getting my passport back. And definitely while I laugh at it now, and I'm obviously recounting this story on this podcast, at the time I was a big pile of tears. And I'm certain that her being composed under pressure like this was definitely due to her just being a mother of three. But also mum used to be a cop alongside my dad in the eighties. And you can hear more about their adventures in Loose Units, the books and the podcasts uh, created by my amazing brother, Paul Verhoeven. That's my, that's the mother stressing in the background, trying to be a good manager and keep it all together to get it all happening because that's what I've done all my life with my family. I thought, right, the the common sense, business-like, logical, sensible, not emotional person has to kick in here because otherwise this won't get sorted. It's it's like you've got to be hands-on and go back to that darn airport. Like you can't just sit in the hotel hoping that the hotline will get back to you because they – you know what? If we relied on the usual process – of waiting for emails and and the and the airline hotline to look for the passport. Guess what? You would never have got your passport. I know it wouldn't have happened because the lady at the airport was amazing. All the staff were amazing, actually. But they, but she went above and beyond. And then she had her friend who was actually on that same flight that had just left that had your passport on it. Yeah. So it was just meant to be that way. But it, we we kind of went. We didn't go the usual route to get the result. And I think sometimes when you're traveling, you just have to sometimes think outside the square, as long as you're not breaking the law, as long as you're following the law of the, uh, of the land that you're in. Um, mm. Sometimes you just have to try and speak to people and be a bit pushy and a bit proactive rather than just sitting back and relying on other people to fix the problem, basically. You just have to think outside the square and go, you know what, what, most people would say, but why would you go back to the airport? There's no point. Like, they're not going to find your passport. It's gone. Just deal with it. But you can't be like that. So, And I'm sure there's many other stories out there that people will talk about. This might bring up the memory of things that have happened to them where they've managed to sort things out where it's a miracle, really. Like, it's pretty well nigh on impossible to have worked out. But it did work out. So, I think that the miracle and magic kind of comes into play when you – put a human face to the to the name so you you know I just knew that we had more of a chance if we could get up to that desk and appeal to that woman and I remember both of us broke down in tears yeah and she thought she just thought you know what what's the big like this is she understood that it was going to have a, a, it was going to have a domino effect on our whole trip as a family the three of us plus your future plans as well like it wasn't just you not not being able to travel. The moral of the story is that you, you'd never put your passport behind the seat ever in your whole life until that day. I'd never done it before, but it was. This is the embarrassing thing. It was clear mesh, 
like you could see it. It was just in front of me. But I did it because, you know, sometimes you put like your bottle of water, your, you know, your headphones, you, you, you just shove a bit of stuff in that, in that pocket. Yes. And it was a really short flight. And I think the moral of the story is to me, never be in a food coma when you're about to catch a flight and you need your wits about you. Because we had just had a big lunch. We had like, we went, we got to the airport in Bilbao like quite early and we thought, oh, let's treat ourselves to a nice burger and fries. And we'd kind of, you know, we'd been eating like Spanish tapas and, you know, um, jamon and all these you know peppers and all this classic spanish food for like three or four days and we thought we saw like some sort of um fast food joint and we thought oh let's you know let's let's have a burger and fries like let's just have a bit of an airport treat meal and i remember it was so good but then i got on the plane and you know when you lose a bit of brain function because you're you're kind of just you've eaten and you're kind of just happy and because it was a domestic flight from Bilbao to Barcelona, you don't need to show your passport upon arrival. There's no customs. And no, Europe, that's right. That's and right. As, as Aussies, we're just so attuned to always having our passport. Whereas, you know, Europeans, like Tobias comes to visit me here and, um, you know, I travel around, I've traveled around Europe with Tobias and he doesn't need to bring his bloody passport. He just shows his ID because it's the EU, right? So mm. um, that was the thing is that we would have found it sooner. We, if we'd arrived at customs and I'd had my not had my passport, I would have run back. Probably would have caught the plane before it took off again. Yes. Um, yes. But but in this case, we got all the way back. You know, it would have taken forty minutes uh, in a taxi to get back into the city check, and it took us hours to even get back there. And so that was part of the disaster of it was that mm. you don't. I don't know why I put it in the thing, and I don't know why I left it in, but I I definitely know why that I didn't find out until so much later. And now you know why you don't do it anymore. <laughs> I, I, I could throw in a small anecdote that we almost got to go on a holiday when you children were very young. We did never travelled overseas or went on that type of holiday when you were little kids. We didn't really have the money to do it, but we'd saved up some money. And you were only maybe, gosh, five or six, and Mark was a baby and Paul was about eight. And we'd saved up this money and thought, let's just go on a little one-week I don't know where we were going. Maybe we were going to Bali or maybe we were going to Thailand. Who knows? It was some little holiday. It definitely was an Asian destination. And we thought, great, we'll save up. We'll go. We'll get our passports. So we got all our new passports, Dad and I, because our old ones had expired. We hadn't been traveling for years. And um, we got, I think we put you kids on, because you used to put your kids on your passport as well. So we did all of that. Oh, cute. Yeah, at, the, at that time, it's what you could do. And then um, what happened after that was something happened. I think your father started working a second job or something or we were bo- about to buy our house. And we thought, you know what, that few thousand dollars, like I know it would be great to go with the kids, but let's just put it towards the house. It's a very expensive thing and we're getting our first home. So let's just do that. And we cancelled the trip, didn't lose any money. It was all fun. It was quite early days as far as the booking went. So we put all the passports away in a drawer and your father being what he's like with tidying and getting rid of things, he threw them out. So he he threw out our brand new passports. So, and you know what? It was many, many, many years later until probably, gosh, maybe even my trip in my early forties to go on, on the world youth day trip. Maybe that was when I got my next passport because we just didn't, we worked three or four jobs between us at least and we had three young children and we just didn't have the time 
the money or the inclination to go anywhere, so he didn't get a passport until then. So back to the story in Barcelona. We had the passport, crisis averted, and we were able to then relax a bit and really get on with our trip. Um, so I did ask my dad what he enjoyed and remembers the most about his first visit to this vibrant Catalan city. Here's dad. Look, food, wine, uh, it's kind of... One thing I also noticed about Barcelona is that at night time, at least where we were, there actually are not a lot of people on the streets. Everyone's sort of eating. It's kind of... But it was getting cool, I remember that. But it's yeah. very festive and, and lovely and... I remember all the beautiful balconies and all the, all the flags on, on the balconies. Um, a lot of them independence flags because Barcelona, you know, has had that mm. that breakaway. That's one of the the centres of, of, and that received a lot of news in the last year or so. One of the cleverest things you did when we were in Barcelona, which I would commend to every single person who has ever travelled to organise a guide, a walking guide. Oh, yeah. And you did that. And funnily enough, Anne, what nationality was he? He was Dutch. Oh, yeah. Because it's a Dutch company that started the whole concept. And he spoke multiple languages. And he was an interesting guy. And he took us on a walking tour. A walking foodie tour. A walking foodie tour. And I was drinking their national drink uh, at 10 in the morning. What? Because... What's it called again? Um, You'll have to do some research because it always stumps me. But I'll tell you what, it's bloody beautiful. It's like a fortified... It's like a punch with fruit in it. And... No, not... No, it wasn't no fruit, the... sorry. Oh, God, isn't it, that it so wasn't... funny? But it's dark no, wait, we... in colour. It's red wine based. I mean, we did have sangria at some point, but this oh, is more on. like a... Oh, um... okay. Oh, I thought it was that, but no, it's... No, it's, it's, no it was... Um, and every wait. single place you go to is a different recipe. And and remember, we went right into the bowels of the ancient town in Barcelona. It was so beautiful and dark mm. and and mis- mysterious. And we began to realise that there was this whole oh, pumping... Oh, Dad, sherry. Really? Wait, I think it's sherry. No, it's Yeah, Southern's sherry. most fortified... One. It was like a dark, sweet kind of... It wasn't sherry? No, it was sweet, but it was nice. I remember um, he told us the story of the um, of the architect, Gaudi, and it was mm. the saddest story. Do you recall? I, I do. I mean, I... He was... He, I, was, he became a... Um, he was basically... He was very eccentric, and he dressed really, really badly, and... They just installed the first electric trams in Barcelona and he fell in front of a tram and it, he was injured very badly and they took him to the pauper's hospital. Um, God, it's just such a sad story. That's, that's super depressing. Okay, no, it so, is, but, um... <laughs> but it's really important because what happened was then one of the surgeons realised it was Gaudi and they rushed him off to the most beautiful hospital and he died. But it's a really oh. kind of... Oh, God, but... What what a legacy! And remember how um, you you took us to the, the famous place. We caught the cab right up on top of the hill, and there were the famous gather gardens. Oh yeah, Parkwell. So beautiful. We spent hours there. Yeah, look, oh, honestly, it was it was exciting. It's an exhilarating place. And then we went down to the city, uh, down to the the docks, and we sat there looking at those super yachts. And in yeah. my sort of daddish type, sad, rather pathetic way, I. Um, 
I kind of um, I googled the names of some of the ships and we found out that one of them was three quarters of a million euro a week to hire, wow. which is kind of weird. But, um, I have a few friends that worked on super yachts, but that's yeah, another incredible story. Annie. Um, now listen, Mum's just Mum's great. She's you know forever on the on the ball, and she she said it's vermouth. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. That's it. One of the biggest trends in Spain: specialized vermouth bars popping up all over. It's just that's it. Large glass mm. jars, hotels organizing vermouth parties. Sweet fortified mine and comes in red or white, but most often red in Spain. S- straight, you know. I, I'm pretty sure that's it. I think it was vermouth. I thought it was sherry, but no, it's it was definitely not of- sherry. Hundred okay. percent, because I, I actually don't like sherry. Okay. Because my grandmother used to have sherry parties in the '60s in Armadale. Yeah. I was three, so I was too young to drink. <laughs> so it turns out that Dad didn't actually think that this dramatic passport incident was particularly out of character for me. Yeah, your life basically has been quite dramatic, Annie. But in fairness, only since I was there when you were f- delivered at Manly Hospital by forceps, um, which, you know, so that's... Wait, a, that's why, why, in what way has my life been dramatic? Well, from the way you entered the earth, the world, it was a dramatic entrance, cute oh. little thing. In fact, I was looking at a photograph just of you today. I googled Annie and all my photos of you came up. And the special dumpling photos came up. And I'm not talking food. I'm talking you. I would describe you as a dumpling. Uh, And if I actually go to search and type in Annie. Just a side note that when my dad says Google search, he means iPhone photo search. You know, that function where you can find people in your pictures on your phone by typing in their name. That's what he means. Love you, dad. Oh, there you are. Can you send it to me? Oh, okay. I'm sending it now. Possibly the cutest photo in my almanac of photos. Ah, <laughs> Isn't it beautiful? And that's my hand at the lower left because you're a bit of a flopsy-dopsy and I'm supporting your back because you couldn't sit up straight. <laughs> That's I'm a, prof- very, that's a professional very photo, by the way. I, Dad, I can tell. Taken in the um, studio. Can you see my hand? I can. Just holding always you. Got, you've always got my back. Thanks, yep. Dad. Oh, Sweet. So, oh my God, all's well that ends well on this little adventure, but I'll always be grateful to that incredible staff member at, at Veerling who really went above and beyond to save the day. She was just incredible. And there's also lots more stories to come about guardian angels that you meet while traveling in this series. The thing is, as I mentioned before, but I hate to admit, this actually wasn't the first time that I had a close call with my passport. So if we rewind a little bit to 2016, um, I'm in New Delhi, India for my best friend's wedding. This is where you're about to meet Prue. Uh, So Prue is my best friend, as mentioned. Um, We've been close friends since, gosh, it must be 24 years now, which really shows our age. But she was born in Sydney's Blue Mountains um, and we met uh, in high school in year eight. 
So when we're around 13 years old, actually, that's totally giving away our age. (laughs) Anyway, um, so Prue has also lived a pretty exciting life around the world, which we'll hear more about in later episodes. Um, But we're in New Delhi. It's 2016 and it's a Sunday night sometime in March. And it's the final night of Prue and her new husband Sid's wedding celebrations. And in typical form, it's true what you see on movies, these celebrations had been going on for three days and nights by this stage, which basically meant we were a big bunch of smiley, well-fed but totally exhausted family and friends. Oh, also very well-dressed, can I just say. So I'd left the final night of festivities a little earlier. Uh, I'd left the party early. I'd said my goodbyes, big teary goodbyes. Um, and then I'd rushed back to her, our hotel, reluctantly, very reluctantly changed out of that day's beautiful silk sari that had been loaned to me by one of Sid's generous family members. Can't remember who exactly, but shout out to Sid's family. And then I'd had a quick shower and I'd checked out of the hotel. I'd gone downstairs, checked out of the hotel, and then I caught a taxi to the airport, to Indira Gandhi International Airport to be exact. So this airport is a little bit unusual in that you can't actually enter the airport without showing your passport, as in there are literally security guards or airport police at the door and they check your passport before you can step through the sliding doors and into the that kind of shiny aircon departures terminal. So I rock up. I'm feeling pretty tired but ready for this red-eye flight back to London, where I was living at the time. And I'd actually just started a new job about a month earlier And I'd negotiated special permission to take leave so early on in my contract as, you know, it was obviously a special occasion with my best friend getting married. So as I walked up to the terminal doors, knowing I was back at work the next morning and I had to get my game face on, my mind was already starting to like tick back into work mode. I was clocking through all the things I need to prepare, what the projects were, what the tasks were. So the line shuffles forward and... I reach the front of the line and the staff member holds out their hand and says, passport, please. So I hand over my passport and this guy, he squints at the passport and then at the paper ticket I'd also handed him and then at my face and then back at the passport. And then he says, I'm sorry, ma'am, but this is not you. This isn't you. And he holds up my passport with the photo page open so I could see it. And to my surprise, holy shit, He's right. It's It wasn't me. It, it wasn't my bloody passport. Whose passport was it? So it was actually Ali, Prue's sister. I had Ali's passport. The hotel had obviously given me the wrong one when I was checking out, as they'd strangely like kept all our passport, uh, our group's passport, in a bunch in a safe together behind the desk. So Ali and I were both white, blonde, blue, or green-eyed, so I couldn't really blame blame them for the mix-up, but... I was also in such a rush to leave um, after the wedding that I didn't check my passport when they handed it back to me. So as you can imagine, I start having a total freak out. The man kind of waved me to the side and I, you know, he obviously had to tend to hundreds of people that were queuing up to get into the airport. So I walked back towards the taxis, kind of pacing, squirming, and like I had ants in my pants or I need to go to the toilet, making those distressed sounds like, oh, like those kind of sounds. And then I just burst into tears. I lost it. And it wasn't just that I was about to miss my flight because by this stage it was, you know, there was maybe only 90 minutes to take off. I'd already cut it fine because I didn't want to miss the last night of the wedding. And then I obviously hadn't factored in enough time to get through this security check before customs, 
because I didn't know that you couldn't get into the airport without a passport. Anyway, I'd, I'd messed up. I, it was a fuck up. And I was also thinking, oh, shit, like, I've got this new job, the new boss. You know, I had quite a bit of responsibility and my boss was very British, a little bit posh, and I just didn't want to be that person who turned up a mess or turned up late and, you know, gave off a bad impression at my, at my new job. So I remember taking out my phone. I tried to call someone, anyone in the wedding party. I had a couple of contacts in my phone, but for some reason the UK SIM that I had wasn't working and I wasn't in the airport yet, so I couldn't tap into their Wi-Fi to call anyone on WhatsApp. But in that moment, I kind of I had to pull myself together because I realized that if there was any shot in hell of me making that flight, that I had to think quickly, think on my feet. And so I... Wiped away the tears, I scanned the crowd and tried to find a friendly face of someone who I, you know, I could potentially use their phone. And so I caught the eye of a tall man standing nearby with two other guys and he must have sensed um, the kind of desperation in my face as he looked at me and just walked straight over and asked if I was okay. You know when someone asks if you're okay and then that makes you lose it even more? So I like burst into tears, found it hard to talk, and he was like, it's okay, but I was kind of like, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. Um, pull myself together and explain my situation. And he was very calm, very, very nice, and he said, don't worry, I, you know, you can use my phone. Uh, I think he was from Dubai, potentially Abu Dhabi, but he said he was here for a wedding as well. Anyway, he gave me his phone and I tried calling a few people who I assumed would have their phones on them. But then remember, all these people are at the final night of a wedding party. The music is loud. So I did the thing that I wanted to do, that I wanted to the whole time, but I didn't think would work. And that was call Prue, the bride. The bride on her wedding night who was either probably dancing uh, or asleep or, I don't know, maybe just enjoying her wedding night, her first wedding night with her husband. <laughs> so here's Prue. Okay. Well, <laughs> it had been, I mean, the wedding itself was three days, but I was running on like nearly two weeks of non-stop um, planning and sickness, intense sickness during all this time and then the peak of that Sunday night was basically the first time that I would have had a night with Sid the first time that in, in weeks that uh I thought I was going to get a good night's sleep like you know it was just kind of like oh we did it after months of build-up and then weeks of planning and trying on stuff and just intensity so yeah. We're coming through the hotel lobby. I think it was Sid and myself, my brother-in-law. Uh, my sister had already gone up to, to her room and I was fully decked out with her, like from spangly shoes, henna up the legs, fully up the arms, <laughs> all the pieces on, the ring that connects up the wrist, up the hand, the stuff on my head, the jingle, just like I was like, it's jingle bells, I was like a walking Indian <laughs> Christmas tree. <laughs> it was glittery and sparkly and pink and green and fake hair. I was just, and the fake eyelashes were flipping off by now. I was just like, oh. you know, I think I'd lost five kilos in a week. I was just like, I got it. <laughs> Running on a few hours sleep. And my phone, which matched me, my energy was on about 5%. And we we're walking <laughs> through the lobby just like, oh, my goodness, we're done. And then <laughs> my phone starts ringing. <laughs> oh, 
But at the moment before we stepped in the elevator, and there were two things. One thing was that I was about to just go, oh, just step in the elevator. And then second, I was about to be like, who is this number? It's, a, it's an Indian number that I didn't recognize. Let's just cut the call. But then I don't know why, for some reason, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, look, I'll just wait with the elevator girl, just answer. And then <laughs> was on the phone, <laughs> buddy, 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 <laughs> without a passport. And then you, yeah, like it went from, I went from just like, that, my own 5% energy of like, you like probably just like get into Johnny's and pass out to them being like, you, you what? Because we'd already had, we just had our, um, you know, an hour or two before our emotional farewell where you had to leave and you'd be <laughs> back to London. It was so special. Go back to London. And it was such a special time that, you'd, that we'd had. It was really emotional. It was so teary <laughs> to hear your voice uh, at the airport without your passport. My brother-in-law overhears me and Sid was listening as well. And then I, I don't know, I can't remember exactly if we were on the phone going up the elevator, but somehow my phone hung in there for those last few percentages and uh, we managed to get my brother. So we're like, so you had my sister's, you had my sister's passport. Yeah. And my sister was up, yes, in her room, kind of like about to sleep. And then all I remember is the elevator coming up and then us three of us sprinting like a brother-in-law getting his like robot arms and sprinting down to down to the room and then hearing um him barge in and my sister be like don't open the door i'm naked or something and like he's like oh holly holly and that's your passport she's the airport she needs your passport like he's canadian he's just like i can solve this and then sid ran off somewhere else and tried to get a cab and then i'm jingling and i had my little purse with me too so i'm like jingly percy running around Bride, bride on her wedding night. Bride on her wedding night. I don't know why I ran down the hall too because I couldn't do anything. But you got the passport, they checked it. It was indeed yours in my sister's bag. And, you know, she was like, oh my God, go. You know, so the brother in law and Sid run back down, me jangling through. He manages to get a cab in record time, get downstairs. They sprint and I'm like, wait for me, jinka, 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 running along behind. Jump in the cab. The phone's going to die. I think the phone did die. Because we, I, thought, I think yeah. we weren't sure where to find you. And then I had to ask the cab driver to get a, you know, a charger. Thank goodness he had one. And it all, that charged up. And then I remember just seeing you. <laughs> you know, sprinted. Someone sprinted towards you with the passport. And I wanted to, like, you were going to give a hug. And Sid was like, no, no, just go. No time for hugs. And I was like, oh, buddy. <laughs> I know. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Somehow managed to make the flight. Like they were closing the gate by the time oh, I was the last one on. That was amazing. That was amazing. That was just like a shot of adrenaline <laughs> right in the. It was just bam, go, roll on. Like her passport, my the sister, my brother-in-law, the cab, the phone, everything. <laughs> Jingly, and then drop my wedding purse. Why was I carrying my little pink glittery? I don't even know, but it was all part of the scene. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> And then, like, I mean, what was it like for you guys then, like, just after, you know, you'd given me the passport, mission was done. I think I crashed harder than I would have had I not had that not happened, right? Because it was like the final peak and then absolute just, oh. you know, because over the weekend there were so many things that required, like, attention or just anything little from, oh, my mum is stuck in her siren to like, oh, where is my wedding blouse? 
oh, John's in hospital. Oh, Shannon's stuck in the elevator. Like just all of these little things that you had to. I mean, that's another. There are other stories, but then that final, the final hurrah. I just was. I remember getting back to the room and collapsing in the bed. It's still with all the jingleys on, and I just remember lifting my hand up towards see them, being like, just, just try take this hand, the jewelry off or like just can you un- I've got 20 30 pins in my hair can you just and he, he kind of did I was done I would have slept like that and woken up as like the <laughs> bride ready for the <laughs> bridal breakfast in her outfit still like that was it <laughs> oh that I feel so bad because it's like not at all a romantic wedding night but I guess I guess like I mean as you'd said you know in in this wedding had been going on for days and this was your actual final night where you could officially be in the same room together as, as, uh, as, as husband and wife. And so, you know, it's definitely not at all what they, how they depict on the movies um, oh, yeah. for you two. Not at all. It's its own, <laughs> real, its own really special night for different, many, many other reasons of just like, wow, you know, we did it. She got the passport. <laughs> I will always be grateful to my friends Prue and Sid for the way they saved the day like that on their wedding night, no less. That kind of superhero effort is just so typical of them as a couple and as individuals. They're just so cool and sweet and generous and they're always happy to help out in that kind of easygoing manner, you know. They're the opposite of divas and I just, I don't know many people who would have kicked into gear that quickly or even answered their phone they were about to go up to their to their room after such a big you know ordeal that was their wedding um it was just incredible luck so you guys are the best i miss you both so much a big thank you to mum dad and prue for taking part in my very first episode of i promise it won't be boring and thank you all for listening until next time